The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop thinking about washing your hair and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 230 with guest Rob Howard, recorded live Wednesday, March 28, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and now, bringing the just-in-time Team System class with Joel Semenya on-site for your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerec, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who learned to speak Chinese in only 10 minutes, and already he's hungry again, Carl Franklin. I call my friends to play. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's the day after hump day here in America, Thursday. And uh, I'm speaking to you from Pwop Studios, my hometown in New London, Connecticut, and Richard Campbell's up there in Vancouver, British Columbia. Hey, Richard. Here I am at Pwop West. Pwop West, as we said before. So, uh, anything new and exciting going on in your life? I know that uh, Strange Loop is taking up a lot of your time recently, uh, this new we're, company. We're driving towards making some public announcements on Strange Loop, so that's sort of our focus these days, just trying to get all those things done. If you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to the show we did recently with Kent Alstad when Richard announced uh, this amazing technology that he's a part of that basically takes all this uh, service stuff that's in ASP.NET, like session and view state, and moves it into a router box. It's just amazing, the performance that you're gaining out of this. And uh, These days we're talking about, we're using terms like non-intrusive optimization. Yeah, you don't have to write any code any differently, and you can achieve what? Is it ridiculous, like 10 times performance or something? Some of our benchmarks are showing 10 times, but we're generally talking about doubling throughput. Wow. And saying that's, if we do better than that, everybody will be happy. So twice as many users, same hardware, no kidding. Strangeloop.com, I think, but there's not really much to see up there, right? Strangeloop.net, and uh, there'll be stuff up there middle of May. Okay. Well, I got some uh, email. I got this email this week. I loved it. I sent it to Dan Appleman because the uh, subject is Dan Appleman is the man. I can't argue with that. Yeah. And this is from uh, Brett Robichaud. He says, Carl and Richard, first, I want to thank you guys for the great show each week. And well, now two shows each week. I don't know how you guys find the time to do all these great interviews. Well, you know, we make time. <laughs> this is what we do time is everybody else yeah. we just use it on interviews it's what we do oh and your post-production work is far and away the cream of the crop in podcast quality keep up the great work now, the only issue i've got with you is figuring out how the heck i'm going to fit in two plus hours of dotnet rocks each week on top of hansel minutes and whatever else you guys dream up damn you carl and richard the answer, Brett, is to move further out of town and commute more. <laughs> That's right. You could save yourself a heck of a lot of money and you'll learn a lot more. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. Trust us. That's true. Uh, he also says, I just finished listening to show 225 with Dan Appleman and I had to write and say how refreshing it was to hear such a down-to-earth guy on your show. Dan seems to have such a great perspective on technology and how things change. I think this was the first time I've heard somebody readily admit that he just doesn't need to learn WPF just yet. While I get as excited as the next geek about cool new technologies, realizing there is so much to know and that we 
can't possibly know it all helps temper the instinct to jump all over every new technology that comes along. I think there is some part of almost any geek that sometimes feels overwhelmed by the constant change in our industry. It is just so refreshingly honest to hear someone with a reputation like Dan Appleman vocalize what I think so many feel. Yeah, it's okay if I don't learn that brand new technology just yet, because I've got four others that I really do need to go figure out. <laughs> anyway, great show, and by all means, have Dan back sometime soon. Okay, we promise. Guaranteed. Yep. What a great email to get. A wonderful email. And speaking of favorite emails, I got a reply from Maximo Guerrero. Oh, yeah, Maximo. Yeah, he actually, you responded to his email last time, but it's my turn this time. Right. He says, hey, Carl, great show. I had a comeback on your comment, had something to do with myself not owning a boat and not needing a sail, <laughs> <laughs> but just messing around. I love your show. The reporting services show was great. People tend to think that just because it's in the early stages of version two, it's not a good product. Hmm. I work for the city of Boston in the education sector, and we reviewed products like Encida and Cognos, and in the end, we went with SQL reporting services. The state actually was going to foot the bill for all the districts to use Cognos, and you know how much money that is in the public sector. Lowest bin always wins. But the gripes with the tool and the troubles with setting it up and the time it takes to make a report builder and all the communication with the browser being tough. In this environment, we need to make changes quickly and just push them out, especially if mm. some report is going to provide funding for something ah. like my paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we touched on that, didn't we? Yeah, we did. The guy who who's interested in the reports is the guy who signs your paychecks. Oddly yeah. enough. And you can use it for much more than reports with the ability to bookmark and label sections that allow you to create booklets perfect for printing. And all these bookmarks and labels are brought into PDFs so you have generated a perfect ebook. I did this for a client who hosts career fairs. As job seekers signed up for the fair, companies could download the booklet with all the job seekers classified by interests and resumes. Huh. Maxwell Guerrero, and he attached a copy of the PDF. And I yeah. hope you looked at it. I did, yeah. It's, it's blown beautiful. away. That is awesome. It's a beautiful document. And you don't, you would never know it was generated from reporting services. Nope. There's nothing on it. Looks like a professionally done PDF file done in Acrobat. I'm, I'm really impressive. Neat. Thanks, Maximo. Awesome thing to take a look at. It's really cool to see people taking a technology in a direction I'd never thought of. And uh, no, we won't share that with people because it's actually a real report. So Yeah. yeah. And I appreciate that he sent us a copy, but yep. uh, that's enough. For me to just... I'm just going to wax poetic about it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, also, a couple of conferences coming up that we should talk about. DevTeach, of course, we've been talking about this at DevTeach.com in Montreal, Quebec, uh, May 14th through 18th. We're going to be there. That's going to be the ORM Smackdown we've been talking about uh, between Ted Neward and Oren Eaney. Also, TechEd is almost sold out. That's June 4th through 8th in Orlando. And uh, almost sold out, so you probably want to, if, you, you know, if you're thinking about going there, you better hurry up and decide. And we'll be everywhere. Yeah, we'll be all over that show. All over that show. No two ways about it. Also, we got some code camps coming up, do we now, A whole bunch of code camps. There's the Dallas Code Camp at DallasCodeCamp.com this weekend, April 21st. Right. So if you're so. anywhere near Dallas this weekend, stop in and, and check them out. Go to DallasCodeCamp.com. Also, the Ann Arbor Day of .net is happening May 5th. And that uh, you can find information about it. Shrinkster.com slash C-U-K. Charlie Uniform Kilo. There's also the West Michigan Day of .net at Shrinkster.com slash N1H. That's November 1 Hotel for May 19th. Okay. And uh, the Raleigh Code Camp, uh, June 23rd. And that's at Shrinkster.com slash Oscar 17 O 17 and, of course, we also want to uh, tell you a little bit about the New York tour that Greg Brill's Infusion Company is offering in New York City. If you're a hotshot.net developer and you want to uh, go live in New York for a year, rent-free, that's right, they'll pay for your apartment for a year, uh, go to shrinks.com slash KH6. Also, there's a great gig in Washington, D.C. for ASP.net gurus. And uh, if you're located near or willing to be relocated to Washington, D.C., go to shrinkster.com slash MMJ. So, Carl. Yeah. This is one of those shows we picked up at Dev Connections. Yep, that's right. Uh, Dev Connections. We were there in late March, and uh, we interviewed Dan Appleman on that show. And we also pulled Rob Howard aside uh, from the Speaker's Lounge and had this great conversation with him. 
Right. Rob Howard, of course, formerly of Microsoft, ASP.NET guy, yep. now running Telligent yep. and also a regional director. Yep. So it was a great interview and uh, let's listen to it now. Hey, thank you very much. This is Carl Franklin here at Dev Connections in Orlando and uh, 2007. I'm here with Richard Campbell. We're up in the hotel room. Hey, Richard. Yeah, a little peace after the chaos of closing session. That's right. We just gave away a whole bunch of swag. And uh, we asked our friend uh, Rob Howard. Hi, Rob. Hey, how's it going? To come up and do a show with us. And of course, he said, yes. And then you guys trapped me in a hotel room with the uh, the blinds pulled shut. That's and- right. Yeah. So we could actually kill him right now. And, <laughs> and nobody would know. The only people who would know would be on this recording, and we just have to erase it. Yeah, okay. Remind me to do that, all right? Start to worry me, guys. All right. So how you been, man? I've been pretty good. Yeah, I just... Uh, Staying busy. I, you know, Richard and I were talking about this just a minute ago. I, I haven't chatted with you guys. It's been about two and a half years, maybe. It doesn't seem like that long ago. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that long ago. I was really <laughs> kind of surprised when he kind of gave me that number. So right after you left Microsoft, I think. Yeah, it was. I think it was like July. I remember I, I was at a, uh, I was at a a wedding in Tulsa, Oklahoma, talking to you guys on a phone with like a bunch of kids ringing around the background and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, I distinctly remember the event. So you went. You were on the ASP.NET team. Worked with Scott Goo quite a bit. Yep. And uh, from there, you went to Telligent. I started a company called Telligent, and we built a product called Community Server, which is a blogging forums collaboration. product you may have heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully. <laughs> yeah. And been doing that for oh, coming up on three years. We have our three-year anniversary in June, and we've also started some other businesses. We started... Uh, um, we partnered up with Eric Smith mm-hmm. and started a business called CodeSmith Tools. CodeSmith Tools has Code been Smith. one of Hansel Minutes' sponsors. Yep. Great Absolutely. stuff. And then we recently started a new business called JobBurner, which is a uh, it's a website that enables employers and job seekers to kind of get matched up together. We actually hired, um, we partnered up with a, a guy named Shane, Shane Henderson, hmm. who was the director of development at Match.com. And we're uh-huh. putting together some some concepts from the dating side of the world into the job seeker world. So more of the profiling yourself rather than just your resume? Yeah, profiling yourself, profiling the job, and then trying to do some some algorithms that match those two together. So That's you get pretty it. cool. Yeah, it's, it's no one else is doing it right now. So we're pretty well, excited yeah, about it. I'm thinking, wow, isn't it a little late? Monster's been around for a long time, but you're taking a very different angle on it rather we're, than just a sort of job posting resume thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally different angle. Part of part of it came from the frustration we had with trying to use some of the other, other resources that are out there. Well, like of course, because you've been hiring like Storm, like every Everybody else, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, we, we just we got a lot of I mean, we got tons of resumes, but it, we kind of found wow, we're always kind of trying to search through the for the needle in the proverbial haystack, and it's really hard to find people that are kind of following the rules for what we set out in our resumes, what we're looking for, or not our resumes, but our job recs. So, what is your what is your position at the, you know what do you do when you wake up in the morning? I guess is what I'm saying. You, you you've been a coder for a long time. Sounds like you're sort of putting on a business hat now. Yeah, I, I've I've made a, a little bit of a transition lately, um, which is something I knew would happen eventually. But right. as the company's grown, we're we're somewhere somewhere north of about sixty people now. I think we're about sixty five people total between all the businesses, and I, I have to do a lot more of the kind of day to day management of, of the company and yeah. learn about things like P and Ls and <laughs> managing QuickBooks and yeah. Did you find this in your career though that the you know if you're in a business that's a software business. Having been a coder and having been on that side of it makes you a better business person. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it it, it, it is a. I could not imagine trying to run a software business without having background in in software previously. Right, I and mean, I still write code, too, especially but. just for you know how long is it going to take? You can actually pretty much make an educated guess. Yeah, it, it definitely helps. You know, when when developers come to me and, and are talking about oh, you know, our schedule might slip. I, it's a lot. It's a lot more interesting for me at least to be able to have a meaningful conversation about. What are the reasons for that? Right. And they know and they can can't pull with you. them. <laughs> <laughs> they also know they can't pull the wool over your eyes, right? Uh, that's true too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How long to make this form? Oh, it'll take me four days. Yeah. Okay. What's really amazing though is we've we've got a fantastic team. And yeah. um like it's a little hard for me now because I'm like, wow, if I was to go back and have to compete with some of these guys, it'd be tough. Wow. Like some of the new like just crazy JavaScript that some of these guys are able to do and you know, really Ajax enabling some of these these new websites that we've been building. It's just cool. It's there's some pretty crazy stuff. Are you doing all your own tools? Are you using third party tools or what are you doing? Uh, we do a mix. We have we have some third party tools. We we build a lot of tools ourselves. Um, we've partnered up with a lot of companies like Component Art mm-hmm. and and other organizations. You know that, that when it's the right tool, we use their yep. software. That's Absolutely. Good, good philosophy. 
So where's Community Server at these days? I know you shipped two a while ago. Is there a three? Yeah, we're actually shipping. Um, we, we've taken a page on the Microsoft Playbook. And so we, we were making the transition from the, the 3.0, 4.0, 5.0 kind of naming. So now we're calling it Community Server 2007. Was that, or you're going to have, make it two second edition? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Community Server 2007. It ships April 15th, actually, which is like you know, 15, 20 days from now. Yeah, and probably after the show is published. Probably after so the show is published. Timing's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but we, we made like about a year and a half ago, we, we had this really amazing revelation. Okay. Like for, for a long time, you know, being a developer, I always thought the people we were trying to appeal to were always developers. And then all of a sudden, we, we made this realization that a lot of people that like to buy collaboration software and community software are really a lot of marketing people. And the non-developers. The non-developers. Yeah, right. it was like this weird concept that we, we at first didn't know how to deal with. And they really, yeah, they need content management. They yep. want to focus on the content. They don't want to focus on the framework. That's right. Yeah, it's a very different way of thinking. Yeah. So how has that affected your, you know, your APIs and stuff? I mean, have you tried to bring them up to a higher level? Or? Oh, it hasn't affected our APIs. It, from the sense of, of how we build the product and producing source code and, and getting developers really excited about the platform, we, we haven't changed a thing. Hmm. What has changed in the last year is we've actually tuned our marketing. So you know, I've had to wear this new hat of marketing okay. a software product now and really addressing the audience. And, and it's just... It's really fun to be able to do things like Google Ads or you know change marketing content and watch just how what you think are little little minuscule adjustments make big sweeping impacts. You're you're project. tuning a message. Yeah. <laughs> You've crossed over to the dark side. Uh, probably have. Yeah. yeah. Used to be the code just stood on its own. Now all of a sudden, <laughs> now you have to tell a story behind it. Yeah, he's got to t- tell it right. You know, really, uh, developers in this space. You don't hear him actually say it, but you hear him think it, which is, if you're not smart enough to know how great this is, you don't deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you. So, uh, Community Server, you have you still have a free version? We still and- absolutely have a free version. Okay. We have a free version, and then we have uh, a commercial version as well. So, let's start with the free version and tell us, you know, what we can expect. I guess, you know, uh, let's compare it to some other things that people like to compare it to, right? Let's compare it to SharePoint. Let's compare it to... Uh, uh, .NET Nuke, let's compare it to, um, you know, what else, whatever else is out there that people compare you to all the time. Yeah, I really think that there's not really much that compares to Community Server. I, I think, you know, you look at SharePoint, it really does something unique. And I, I would actually say, if I was drawing comparisons, I would put the comparisons between SharePoint and .NET Nuke. There's much more uh, convergence between where those t- two technologies are headed. Before we give SharePoint up, I mean, what's the real fundamental difference here? Is it just that SharePoint is so office-centric? Absolutely. That's SharePoint, the big difference. You know, when we talk to customers, we always push, push them to SharePoint when they start talking to us about, hey, I've got an internet. I want to manage my office documents. Uh, I want to have collaboration with right. my, you know, all my users with Excel files, with Word documents. You can't beat SharePoint. It does a phenomenal job there. But, but you get into the more of the forum yeah. type. Yeah, the real, you get into the real capabilities of you guys. So then that really brings us around to something like .NET Nuke. Right. So let's talk about that. I mean, uh, what's the difference there? I mean, obviously, we know what .NET Nuke is. Yeah, .NET Nuke, you know, is, is a portal, and it's a great portal. And mm-hmm. uh, you can add modules to it. I mean, it does some really interesting things. And more of what we're trying to do with Community Server is build a platform. So there's a completely different approach. We're saying Community Server is a platform that out of the box is going to provide you with a, a, base, let of, a base level of services um, such as membership, role management, which the you other could platforms argue do the as same well. thing about .NET Nuke. Yes, uh, but then ours is going to be focused almost exclusively on collaboration. So okay. interactive content, okay. uh, forums, blogs, uh, file sharing, photo sharing, less about building portal sites. But as soon as you're focused on collaboration, aren't you back to the SharePoint question again? Like, isn't the main collaboration tool that people are using is Word? Yes and no. I, I actually find that one of the main collaboration tools that people use is, is this wonderful thing called email. And that's oh, look. That's ah. where we've tried to focus on is you know pro- providing both some great tools in the web browser for collaborating, but also tying that in with integration with email, so that you know I can I want to write a blog post, I can write it in an email message, send it as an email message. I want to participate in a forum discussion, I can open up email, I can write an email message on my BlackBerry, I can write it on my in Outlook, I can write it in Yahoo Mail, um, send that message to the forum, it gets posted, everyone can read it, Google can index it. Um, people can reply to it, and I can er- get that reply back in my inbox and read it and reply to it again. That is certainly a different approach. That's very cool, actually, to basically interact. It's it's one thing to be able to post a message on a forum via email. It's another thing to get the replies back via your email yep. as well. And we do it via, for news groups, too. So with community server forums, you can you can read and post via email. 
You can read and post via the web, and you can read and post via news groups. So I'm thinking like the subject line plays an important role here in uh, you know where things go. Is this a blog post? Is it a whatever? Or it, how do you how do you you know how do you parse the email to to know what to do with it? Part of it's the subject line, so that 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 plays into it. Part of it is also the, uh, the email address that the message is being sent to. Ah, okay, sure. That plays obvious, part of it. Obvious place. If it's an HTML email, we can do some other kind of trickery behind the scenes to make sure things route the right way. Trickery behind the scenes. Hmm. We can embed hidden tags. Oh, okay. That's yeah. what I think. <laughs> Unfortunately, Outlook <laughs> strips uh, the thread ID. So, so emails by default have a thread ID header. And Outlook strips them off. Uh, and I'm thinking Outlook 2007 has just made your life miserable, too, because they really well, they got rid of the IE engine altogether. Right. So it just must have ripped things up for you. It's actually been working pretty well for us. We haven't had many problems um, because we haven't taken dependencies on, on features that we thought might go away. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we have the blog. We have... Now, what about um, customization of UI? One thing I like about DOS blog is that I can skin it and all that stuff. And it seems that when I go to a community server, it always looks like community server. So we are about to revolutionize the way theming and skinning happens for blogs and community sites in general. And wow. I haven't seen anyone do this yet. So everyone supports the concept of skinning and theming. Um, we are moving to a single file format. We're moving to a single XML file format that includes all of your theme information, um, all of your uh, file information for import and export. So you can import it and it will explode it out into the appropriate files like JPEGs or GIFs or um, theme files. Um, so it makes it very portable and very easy to share. So this isn't just CSS we're talking about. This no, it's is, not just CSS. But it, it probably could in, include it CSS includes elements. CSS. It includes CSS and all the elements that are necessary to compose a skin file. So basically you're just file. creating one big data file that that's nice because you can move it around without having to worry about dependencies. So you you have embedded binaries, you say? We've embedded in, binaries. So we, we take like, like an image. Like Base64 encoded base binaries. Base64 encoded, throw it into an XML Dude, file. this is a smart guy right here. And uh, I, I have a smart team. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's. I, I got to say, I'm impressed. And uh, we've, also, nice. we've also spent the last uh, six months building a suite of, of just really slick, gooey, like WYSIWYG editors so that people don't have to know CSS. So now in Community Server, when you go in and edit a theme... There's a, uh, if you've ever used like Photoshop, it pops yeah. up a little, um, it's all done via JavaScript and Ajax. You can click on, Hey, I want to change the font color. You click on the, on a font button. It picks, it, it pops up a color picker and you get to choose from like 32 million different colors that you can use. This brings up a whole bunch of questions of technologies that are coming out from Microsoft here pretty soon and how they fit like WPFE, XAML. Yep. Um, how does it, how does this relate? Um, it definitely relates. I, I don't think it, it's, it's relating just yet. Uh, it's something that we're looking be thinking at about down it. the road, though. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're talking four O features, not three O features. Yeah, so that's way down the road. Yeah, yeah, probably next year. But we are building the, we are working on the WPF, WPFE site for Microsoft. So we're going to develop some, hopefully, some unique expertise around uh, how that technology works and get to apply that back in the community. You server. led me into my next question, which is, you know, what's your relationship with Microsoft like these days? I mean, you you spend some time there. You know, a lot of people. I'm betting they usually will take your call too. So uh, are you intelligent doing a lot of work with Microsoft? We are doing a lot of work. Um, they don't represent a huge portion of our business. And we've tried to do that very purposefully. When I was at Microsoft, one of the things that I saw happen almost routinely was vendors take this dependency on Microsoft as a customer. And if right. you let them, Microsoft can easily become 90% of your business. Yeah. And when Microsoft changes its mind, which it does... then 90% of your business vanishes. Overnight. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. So you got to stay diverse. We've tried to limit our Microsoft business to a, a very small portion of our business. So if that business ever goes away, that we have other avenues and other channels that we can pursue. I can also see it being valuable to maintain that relationship from a sort of marquee point of view, that these are pieces you can show. It, it absolutely is. is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we love the fact that we can talk about all the different properties we've helped Microsoft build, like the, the Windows Vista blog. We've helped out with the Xbox team. Um, we've helped out with, uh, you know, no, well, not directly related to Microsoft, MSNBC, um, and of course, the ASP.NET team. That brings up this question, which is, do you, you say you've helped them out. Does, is part of the services you provide configuring community server and doing custom installations and that kind of stuff? Or? Yeah, about about forty percent of our business is services work, where we actually huh. go in and, and we help set up community server, we um, install it, we customize it, we do a bunch of um, branding. We have a full creative team on staff, so we did. You know, we've done the blog um, blog for um, the Today Show is a good example. Wow, we're doing um, we're doing a bunch of work with Electronic Arts for a bunch of their game titles. 
Those are pretty good accounts. Um, yeah, yeah, we've we've been really fortunate. We've and this is really all community server based sort of stuff. Yeah, it's a platform for building community. Well, sites. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely <laughs> proving your point. It's a platform. Yeah. I start here and then go whatever direction I need to. And I got to imagine the MBC site and the EA sites look a little different. Oh, they look completely different. Yeah, but underneath the covers, it's all the same stuff. So, um, people who are used to .NET Nuke kind of having like you know this huge market of tools and plugins and stuff um where does that fit in do you i mean you must have a plug-in interface for for features but uh you know what are the kinds of things that people can plug in so we do have a plug-in interface we've had people write wikis and kbs on top of community server um, as well as a KB number knowledge of, base yeah knowledge base i'm sorry yeah. yeah as well as a number of other add-ons from calendar controls and so on and so forth okay we are by and large very very careful about um, encouraging modules and add-ons on top of the platform. Right, this is the year that we're actually you. right. Yeah. This is the year we're we're putting a lot of focus on our vendor market as well as our, so our third-party market um, as well as our um, partner and channel market. Well, how about this? I mean, how about just for ASP.NET developers? Can ASP.NET developers integrate easily with Community Server? If I wanted to, you know, take a calendar control and throw that in somewhere, do I? I mean, do I need a plug-in interface? Can I just? No, you don't. You can, can just figure drop it, it out. Drop it on a page, and we've tried. We've tried to stay within the bounds of what ASP.NET allows you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, for an ASP.NET developer to open up a community server application, look at it, they're going to feel immediately comfortable with it. Oh, okay, very good. I think we're back to this thought we've had over a few shows now, which is you should be never starting with a blank ASP.NET site anymore. There's all these great frameworks to st- or your starting point. Pick up the few features that you need and then go do your customizations from there. That's right. Well, I think you know the reason that I'm putting all three of these things in sort of in the same... Uh, boat is because most a lot of people think of these things together you know like when i go pick an off-the-shelf solution that uses asp.net i'm going to think of these three things you know sharepoint community server .net nuke so it's a good idea to sort of hey let you know if you're going to be using office on an intranet it's sharepoint if you're going to be doing an internet facing sort of portal site you know with uh, with people you don't have any idea who they're going to be uh you know internet based you want to go to .net nuke if you're going to be doing community sites, yep, specifically, yeah, blogs, wikis, all that kind of stuff. That's right. I mean, yeah. that, that's the way we view it. We we talk to a lot of customers. Um, the the expression I use that I I don't know if I should say in your show or not, but we Please. say we call we call community server. The, it's it's the it's the Viagra for your website. <laughs> that's what you're unsure about putting on this show. Have you listened to this? Show? <laughs> he hasn't heard our show very much. <laughs> You know, when comparisons of web development components come into play, vendors start tossing in cliches like complete tool set of controls, superior performance, empowering users, and hosts of other buzzwords. But at the end of the day, what matters most to you, the developer? For our friends at Telerik, the answer boils down to simply getting your job done, like saving precious time by customizing stubborn controls at design time or skinning new applications in no time. And how about no browser compatibility issues? That's a big one. Take the Telerik Ajax offering, for example. The product was designed to quickly get you up and running with this new yet complex technology, and it just works. Forget about writing tricky JavaScript. Forget about making end-to-end modifications to your application. What's best is that you can count on a wide range of resources, sample apps, tutorials, active forums, and, of course, Telerik's renowned support team. After all, there is a reason why 89% of Telerik's customers choose to renew their subscriptions. Experience that for yourself by testing a trial version of the most reliable UI suite for ASP.NET at www. T-E-L-E-R-I-K dot com. So besides community server, let's talk about some of the other stuff. Sure. Let's talk about CodeSmith. So, so Eric Smith wrote this tool for, for doing code generation in line, sort of like, uh, you could call it, I don't know, uh, like, uh, Mark Miller's tool there, Code Rush, sort of on steroids, where you have, you know, keystroke templates and all that kind of stuff just to do all this great code generation. You um you came to Eric and said, "Let's kick this up a notch." What what exactly happened and what did you do for them? So Eric Eric really was the one who said, "Let's kick this up a notch." He was he was great friends with uh, Jason Alexander, who's mm-hmm. the CTO of Intelligent, and together we all kind of sat down and said, "How can we build a business around this software tool?" 
Yeah. And we came up with the concept of, of creating Codesmith Tools LLC, uh, with the first product being the Codesmith tool that Eric had been working on for the past several years. Mm-hmm. We did some marketing. We did some some more polish on the tool, worked a little bit on the messaging. And so you did just about everything. I mean, you just helped him out. Yeah. Gave him some really manpower. Just, we really just all kind of sat down and, and put the pieces in place. That's good. And that tool is doing well? Tool is doing really well. We just we just actually hired uh, two more people. It's not an expensive tool either. No, it's it's. I think it's like three hundred bucks. Yeah, that's practically an impulse buy for yeah. for a developer these days. We've got this cool little feature in there too. I, I call it I call it the justifier. The <laughs> uh, it, when you when you when you open up CodeSmith and you can you can download CodeSmith. Um, there's like a free thirty day trial, so you can actually see this in action. <laughs> but you can uh, on the about toolbar. There's a calculator that will tell you. It'll keep track of how many lines of code you've generated, and you can reset it at any point in time. Ah. but you can plug in. You know, how many lines of code can an average developer code per day? So we said 50. Uh, sounds like some kind of <laughs> random joke, doesn't it? Yeah, really. Um, and then what's the what's the cost per hour of that developer's time? And so we, I think it defaults to $60. And you can change both of those variables. But it's kind of fun because you, <laughs> you run some of our more complicated templates, like, this, like Rocky Laka CSLA templates, yeah. to generate out frameworks, which are incredibly powerful. And you sit back and you go, wow, I just generated out you know, 100,000 lines of code. It fifty lines of code per hour. I just uh-huh. you know it took me two thousand. It took me two twenty five hundred twenty five hundred hours at fifty dollars an hour. Here's how much I saved the company. Yeah, and it's it's easy to justify that three hundred dollar price. Then that's pretty cool. And Rocky Laka's CSLA dot net uh, uh, plugins for CodeSmith. Great stuff. Yeah, they've been yeah. really popular. And he's happy with it. I'm sure. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Uh, and what's this uh, this website for the job website? This is something that you just started. Is this something that you're working on personally, writing code, or are you managing the team, or what? This this is something we started about um, it's probably it's almost been about six months now. So Shane Henderson was previously the director of development mm-hmm. at Match.com, right? And he he had an idea for starting a, a job board, right? And we were kind of looking around the market, and it seemed like a great time because. Monster was having some issues. Mm. There's a bunch of new startups in the space, like Jobster. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just kind of figured now's a good time to kind of get into that market. And it's something that I've personally just always been interested in. Now, this isn't based on Community Server. This is a totally separate ASP.NET uh, site? or It's a totally separate site, but it's built using CodeSmith templates, and it has Community Server. No kidding. So, uh, it, one thing that we're really trying to do a lot of in our business right now... Um, Dog food it. Is well is find ways to use the services that the d- different businesses are providing right. to help yeah. one another, and we we built the Jawburner website in less than eight weeks with co- with a combination of Codesmith and Community. How many devs? How many devs? One dev. One dev eight weeks. Yep. And you wow. can go to the site. It's 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 pretty powerful. And it's Jobburners. Jobburner. Jobburner. Dot com. Yeah. Uh, Rob, what was your first computer? My first computer was a TRS eighty. Which model? I don't remember. I was too Wait, young. <laughs> was it the kind with the built-in monitor? I think it was the kind with the built-in monitor. Dude, it was yeah. a model for <laughs> high five. <laughs> and then my, my second computer was a uh, was a Commodore one twenty eight, which wow. was that was that was where I really turned into like a big old geek. Um, okay, it would spend nights and weekends kind of plugging away on that computer. So did you, were you writing like ROM basic programs and stuff? Yeah, you had, I, you had to with a Commodore, you, right? You, you had to. Like I, I remember, you know, I, I told a joke on my talks where there was no you know, OS; it was just basic. Right? I, I remember getting the magazines once a month, and it would yeah. literally be five pages of two column hex code. Yeah, and sitting for hours typing that in, only to have it not compile and not work, and be really frustrated. So I can't remember because uh, I never had a Commodore, but I remember people had them. And and I remember looking at it and saying, where's the OS? But the basic was the OS. The basic was the OS. Yeah. So so was it a, like a tape drive for cassette tape? Do you remember? There, there was a tape drive. Yeah. And I also, I, I was pretty far along. I had, I had a disk drive too. Ah, so. okay. So what was the first program you ever wrote that you were proud of? What did it do? Oh, you know, I can't remember. I think it was actually on the TRS-80. I wrote a little program with sprites that would, uh, when they... When they would kind of float around the screen, they'd bump into each other and they'd kind of fly fly apart from one another. Oh, cool! That so was it. It wasn't very complicated. <laughs> graphics mode on the TRS eighty, but that so you did collision detection, yeah, and animation, yeah. Wow, that beats my Mad Libs program. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I remember about the Commodore disk drive is that it had its own processor in it. It they both had sixty five oh twos in them, both the machine and the drive itself. I didn't know that. That's crazy because I was already repairing machines back then. The very first incarnation of those those disk drives, the fifteen forty ones, they didn't have any blockers at the end of their rails, 
So you could order the drive to seek to track 100 and the head would travel all the way off the end of the rails. And you'd hear it go clunk. <laughs> and we had, we had a service kit for that to fix your drive because it didn't work anymore after that. Okay. Here we go. That's funny. Coolest feature. Coolest feature of, uh, of community server. Oh, the, the coolest feature. The coolest feature. Well, how about from a developer's point of view, right? The, the most elegant way that something was implemented. Well, I'd have to be biased. I, I, I think the, the, the provider patterns, um, that's where the original provider pattern came out of. Really? Um, for ASP.NET. Yeah, it was out of the origins of community server. And you wrote this? So back when I was on the ASP.NET team, I wrote, a, 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 I wrote a, an application called the ASP.NET Forums. And okay. that's what kind of originated in a community server. And the ASP.NET Forums is where I really prototyped membership, role manager, personalization um, the provider pattern was born out of the out of the um, ASP.NET forums application wow yeah so that went back to Microsoft after so we were you were still working at Microsoft yep. for the provider yeah because it was just before ASP.NET 2.0 shipped I think that yeah you I wrote the provider stuff in ASP.NET 1.1 yeah it was all nice good old ASP.NET 1.1 code well you know I gotta agree with you that is the coolest thing in the world the provider model in ASP.NET is awesome yeah I love it it's uh it's yeah, incidentally, it started off as a way that I could just use a, a different database, and it kind of grew over time. And wow. we found this really unique niche where it just—it—I it, couldn't believe anyone else had been doing that before. What's so compelling about the provider model is testability that you can build a stub provider just so that you have that basic functionality before you do the whole thing and can work on the other side of it for a while. Yep, and then just switch them out as time goes along. Yep, and developers—I mean, it, it's. The provider design pattern is something that resonates so well with developers because they love they love options and just being told that hey here's this API and guess what if you don't like the the way the API is implemented behind the scenes hey, you can rip out the internals and replace it with your own yeah do your own yep even if you never do that you've just lowered the threat for implementing this technology because they always have this and in my back pocket I can write my own exactly yep when you go to one of these uh, companies that you work for you do services for like the today show or whatever um what's that like i mean what what do you do you, you just go in the back room and talk to the geeks or are you talking to the managers do you you know what happens like when you get a when you get a gig like that we we talk to a variety of people we talk to uh, we talk to the managers who is who are directly responsible for that product that mm-hmm. they consider a product they put on the website um, we also talk to a lot of the developers we talk to designers it, it really we really touch a lot of different people um, during the course of any of our business meetings. Yeah, you really don't think about the army of people involved in something like NBC, but I, I've got to have their own development core and, and all of this, these different talents for, for doing the huge range of stuff they work on. Oh, yeah. They, ha- they have a huge team. I mean, they have, they have a, a full development team that runs the MSNBC.com website. Mm. Um, the, one of the reasons they, they came to us for community service because they wanted something that was A.net and something that they could turn the control of the content over back to their editorial team because previously it had, it had to go through the development team for any editorial changes or updates. Are they are are you hooked into sort of the internal uh, network as well in terms of doing a you know intranet messaging or anything like that or is it all outward facing? It, a lot of it's outward facing. We do have some web services for some for some communication back to their network, but most of it's outward facing. We actually host some of those sites for them. There's a sort of fundamental concept here about content management, about being able to have content people who are not tech people. And, and, you know, you said this right off the bat. You've tuned your messaging around community server to talk to people who are not technical but need to provide content. Yep. We we found a huge gap in the market that a lot of our competitors are really focused on appealing to technical people. Like You have to be be a software person to understand how to use our, our technology. And... We're finding there's a lot of people out there that really just want to use it and get their jobs done and be done with it um, and enjoy some of the features, but they don't want to be technical. They don't want to have to know CSS to change the background color of their page. They want to go to a, a nice, simple picker, choose the color, and be done with it. Does a community server require SQL Server? Does it require anything other than ASP.NET? And for that matter, does it need its own box? It does require SQL Server. Uh, we, we prefer to see it running on its own box um, for its own to get its own resources. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. It's just another ASP.NET app. Just another ASP.NET application. Have you been doing much in the way of positioning inside of ISPs? Like there's ISPs that are running this for their customers? Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the larger ISPs in the world, GoDaddy, 
makes it available to their customers. So you can just go to GoDaddy.com. And it's just an option. When you buy your web package, you can run communities. Yeah, you can you can either uh, run our free version or, or buy a license on to... Now, would they be running like one copy of community server uh, or, you know, not one copy, but one big installation? And then is a community server broken up into different communities all sharing the same database or... How does that work? Like, can I can I do multiple communities on one box? It's a great question. We actually support the scenario you just described, which is mm-hmm. I want one box and have multiple communities in it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're moving away from that. We're finding that it's just from the way the database organizes the information behind the scenes, it doesn't perform very well. I've always been reluctant to to mix accounts in right. one database just because you know you get one number off and you're looking at some other company's data. Exactly that kind of thing. Well, and I, I'm getting that virtual PC just makes this unnecessary anymore. We don't need to share it. Virtual server, you mean? Yeah. Well, either way, virtual server, virtual PC, virtualization has eliminated the need to share. Yeah. We can completely separate them. And boy, is it complicated code too. Trying to like squeeze all the same, like squeeze different data into the same database while still keeping all the information protected from all the other. It's just. And even if you don't get anything wrong, even if you do everything right and you're not mixing data at all, you still have these performance conflicts. Yep. Because you're sharing resources like that. You can blame somebody else for the site being slow. Well, and also the way we've done so much over the last... I mean, we've been working on a community server in various forms for almost seven years now. Right. And we've done so much optimization at the database level that when you put a when you put a multitude of sites into one database, it really just screws up the indexes. It screws up the, cl- the clustered indexes primarily. Because now you start scattering data that really belongs very, very close together... It gets interleaved with data that doesn't belong. Right. You'd, you'd really need to restructure the database to have it site uh, indexed and then every other index as well. It's, it's not worth it when you can just virtualize the whole thing. Nope. Yeah. So we, we don't do that anymore. I mean, you look at most of the hosts that offer community server, and I believe all of them offer it as a full install of the application into your virtual directory or website. Right. And, e- and either way, just virtual directory or your machine or whatever you want. Yep. I'm... Jumping back a little bit here, tell me how the GoDaddy deal happened, because that's kind of interesting to me. Did they come to you and say, hey, we our customers are asking for community server. What do we got to do? They had a they participated in something called the Microsoft Hosting Program, and the Microsoft Hosting Program uh, was something that we participated in. They came to us and said, hey, you know, we're, we're trying to get ex- hosters excited about Microsoft Technologies. Uh, would you guys be willing to participate? And we said, sure, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work with you guys. So this is actually a program inside of Microsoft. Yeah. About providing resources to ISPs that yep. are sort of certified. I, I I'm not sure exactly what the the metrics are or, or how the how everything's measured or if they're certified or not because we work with a lot of different ISPs. Right. But they went out and talked to all the ISPs and said, "Here's some different offerings," and the ISPs had the option of choosing which ones they wouldn't make available to their customers. And that was about three years ago. So GoDaddy's actually been with us since version one of Community Server. That's cool, and that's really Microsoft's initiative to make it easier for ISPs to offer these services. Yep. And it, it serves everybody. Serves the vendor, serves the ISP, serves the customer. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, a, a big goal for us from the business side for um, Intelligent this year is to really focus on the reseller and partner market, and ISPs are number one in that list. Right, of course. And I got to think also just the ideas of consultants starting with your framework when they're brought in to uh, to get things off the dime. Yep, absolutely. So have you, have you done a lot of that yet, or is that that's really new for you guys? And we we, we did a lot of it last year. And we're trying to figure it all out still. The way the way we like to operate as a business is we don't do anything until we really understand what it is we're trying to accomplish. Right. Why is this going to be like, good? A great example is our marketing. We, we really were very cautious. You'll never see a lot of advertising for community server because we didn't really know who to talk to. When now that we know how to t- how to talk to those people and who it is we're talking to, we've you know we're, we've ramped we've ramped up our sales team. We've hired three more salespeople in the last you know three months. Um, we really know what we want to do now. So the same thing will be true once we kind of figure out the reseller and partner market. It's just figuring out the right messaging that resonates correctly with the, with the hosters and the, the partners, um, working with the partners that we have today. So we do have some companies that have started up specifically around supporting community server. Right. And then once we understand how that all works, how do we scale it? It's kind of the next question. Yeah, yeah, and I can see you're coming into an interesting period here where you may end up competing with your own partners. You may want to, you're going to end up wanting to back away from some deal so that your partners can do the work. Absolutely, that's just a growing business kind of problem, right? Yeah, I mean, it, part of the business plan when we set out to build Telligent was looking at some of the successful business models other companies have used, and and one of the ones I, I really liked was the IBM model of, of the mid '90s, where 
IBM both built the hardware and the software, but they also had the services team that could come in and make sure it was successful. Right. And uh, while well, at the same time enabling partners. And I think that's just a great business model. Yeah. Because you're in many ways in control of your own destiny that way. But there's a little dance on the tightrope there where I, I want partners, but I need them to be competent. Right. And I don't want to feel have them feel like they're being stepped on when I do some of the work as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that's sort of the problem of uh, you got back to about advertising. You know, who are you going to advertise to? You don't want just anybody uh, uh, becoming your partner. So, Rob, what's next for uh, Community Server? What's next for you guys? What, what are you looking forward to? We've got some big plans. We're, we're building out a wiki right now for Community Server. We're building out um, some knowledge-based functionality for Community Server. Mm-hmm. We're also going to be adding in groups this summer, finally, which is something that a lot of our customers have been asking for. Groups as in uh, different categories of forums or something? Well, or? think of it as like sub-communities within a community. So you've got a community about, let's say, talking about a bunch of people talking about cars. Mm. And a, a bunch of the guys that like Corvettes decide, you know what, we, ha- we want to ha- have our own place to hang out, like Google Groups. Okay. And offer that same kind of functionality where they can have their own homepage, they can have their own forums, they can have their own blogs kind of all cornered off in their own area. Isn't this just an extension of uh, membership roles? It's No, it's a little different. So not groups in the sense of permissions, but oh, okay. groups in the sense of, I want to create a sub-community called you know, Corvettes, or I want yeah, to create a sub-community called Porsche. Right, else. just a, a more hierarchical community structure. Yep. Yeah. Is that going to relate to like mailing lists? It's easy to go mail the Corvette group? Yeah, that's exactly the idea. Okay. So if you look at how Google Groups is structured or Yahoo Groups, yeah. very much the same idea. But not as a security model. Anybody can belong to any group. Um, it will be. It will have security models around it too. So it'll be both public, invite only, and then private. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. good for insiders. Yeah, well, we thing. see lots of uh, lots of organizations internally implementing community server, and you have groups that naturally form as a result of that. You have a marketing group or a sales group, and they kind of want their own area to discuss their own things, and they might not want to share that with everyone else. Right. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So that's one of the other, you know, that's that's one area we're interested in. Um, personally, areas or things that I'm interested in, I'm uh, I'm getting kind of hot on this idea of, of micro investing in other businesses, like helping yeah. other uh, other people that are into building software start start their business. Yeah, um, micro meaning not a lot of money, just enough to keep them going until they get version one out the door, kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. So so kind of along the lines of, of something we've done with say uh, say Jobburner or CodeSmith, even just taking some of the expertise that we formed around the business of creating software companies and, and, and successfully creating software companies and trying to repeat that. It's very incubator-ish, actually. Yeah. And, and and community server lends into that nicely, the fact that you deliver this value to uh, to a potential new uh, prospect with, with all this technology that will just work to facilitate a bunch of the things they need right. to do. That's, the, that's, that's exactly correct, yes. Uh, blog security. Yep. It's a great, great topic. I know that you know, have thought a lot about this. Um, what are some of the issues that people are still seeing out there in blog land in terms of, you know, talkbacks, pingbacks, trackbacks, all these things that are getting exploited, Kapschka, all that stuff? I mean, what are, what's going on? What's Spam going on is out the there? number one problem yeah. that we face on a daily basis. And we have, uh, we have done a tremendous amount of work to help fight spam. We have uh, probably the, the most innovative thing we did in Community Server 2.1, or one of the, one of the more innovative things we've done is we, we built a rules engine specifically around all incoming content for Community Server. So whether it's a forum post, a blog post, a file, a photo, whatever it is, there's actually a rules engine that all that content passes through. So before a piece of content like a comment or a referral can even get added to your blog, it has to go through this rules engine. And that rules engine can do, do, do things like look for certain keywords, Look at how many times you've posted in a, in a matter of minutes. Look at um, a, any number of other options like uh, URLs included in your in your post. It can also call out to external services, so you can plug in your own modules there. And so we, we actually, in fact, plug into the Acasmet service. Um, that if it falls through all our rules, it will call out to Acasmet and, and validate. Acasmet, what's that? Acasmet, A K I S M E T. It's a it's a spam prevention service, and you can pay like ten bucks a month. And they will scan all of your comments that come into your blog. So is it just for blogs or they do email and things too? Well, it, it, right now it's just for blogs. Neat. Although there's a web services API, so in theory you could use it for anything. Neat. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It works, it, works, it works very well. And, of course, we started off talking about blogs and spam here, but you've got forums as well, which you know, as long as news groups have been around, this has been a problem. Absolutely. So there's spam vulnerabilities in a lot of different places in community server. It's got to be challenging to try and come up with a coherent plan to battle all of it. Yeah, and we've we've actually 
you know, cross our fingers, knock on wood, have been really successful at it so far. We, we've, we've had a number of customers come to us and choose us because the amount of effort we've put into um, all the different filters and rules and whitelists and other things that we've done to make sure that spam doesn't get into the system. Well, and I, I got to know you're exploiting your provider model once again, that you could always build your own extension on here That's if right. you need it. That's right. Yeah, it's um, it's been frustrating, especially every once in a while. We'll get some trackbacks or pingbacks on on my blog, which is DOS blog, and you know the answer to it is disable trackbacks and pingbacks. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's you know that's what I have to do. It's uh, it's unfortunate that there's just a lot of people out there trying to take advantage and, and game all those systems, and ultimately crippling the value of the blogging system that right. interconnected thinking right. that we had a couple of years ago. For the most part, seems to just be broken now. But no different than the way emails become broken, where your average mortal's turning over an email address every three months because they cannot deal with it any other way. Yeah, it's a huge problem. It, it amazes me that it's it's just a really neat concept that companies can actually form and be hugely successful based solely on their ability to prevent emails that you don't want. I mean, think about that. Yeah. There's, like Barracuda has a product they can put on your network that... Literally, all it is there for is for, for preventing spam. My ISP has a, a guy who they keep in the closet and throw some pizza and Mountain Dew under the door every once in a while who wrote this absolutely unbelievable spam uh, filter just, you know, with a with a Linux box and, uh, and a lot of brains. Yep. And all of our email goes through that. And since that's happened, it's amazing how quiet my inbox has gotten. It's really, really, you know... Uh, uh, it's amazing. It sucks that you have to do that, but you know sometimes that's the only option. Yeah. But it works for us. We're back to that great old rant of: Can this actually be a successful business model for anybody? <laughs> Is anybody buying this stuff? You know, do you, would you buy Viagra from somebody on your comment spam? You know, <laughs> hello. Yeah, but you know, hey, look at this Viagra. But you know what it's all about? It, the, the comment spam. The goal of a comment spam isn't necessarily to to get you to to get a reader to click on that. It's for Google Link Love. Yeah, you know, it's right. To, it's to make sure that you're getting links out to your site on a bunch of different websites, essentially, and to affect the ranking of your page in right. the search engine. And it's indexes. all about that Google Love, isn't it? It's all about that Google Man. Love. So, do you still write code? I do still write code. I, I you know, it's it's funny because my, uh, my my admin, her name's Delia. She, uh, whenever I start writing code, I, I start going like dark for days at a time. I start Stop responding to emails. Yeah. Closing my door. I have the same problem. She's going to knock on my door and says, are you writing code again? Are you doing that? Yeah. I told you. Don't be writing code <laughs> like that. We need you out here. So it's funny. My, my team my, my team knows it too because Scott, Scott Watermazic emailed me on uh, on Friday. We were chatting about something. He said, you must have been writing, writing some code this week. I was like, what? why do you say that? Well, this is the first time you've like, I am me all week long. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're right. I was working on a little project. What are you coding? Like, what's what's getting you? What a what technologies are you really interested in right now? Because you really can sort of choose, right? You're not in the critical path of your major projects. What are you tinkering with? Um, honestly, I'm I'm still tinkering with a lot of stuff that I, I love to tinker with in the past, which is ASP.NET. I've I've been working on a little wiki application. I've just really been motivated to write something to improve uh, the documentation for community server, and it kind mm. of evolved out of that. We we had our all over help and RoboHelp, and I, I love RoboHelp. They have some great tools, but wasn't being indexed by Google, and right. the way that the way that they do all their linking with JavaScript, it just was broken. So it started off as me writing a little tool to export all the content for out of RoboHelp's XML file format into some HTML pages, and you know, got out of ten hand hours later, there. I had a wiki. <laughs> <laughs> and it, interesting that you know one of the metrics you were concerned about was indexing by Google. This ability to that people are going to use Google to look up problems. In, that they're having with community server, and Absolutely. you need to serve them that way. Yeah, and, and that's it, it's frustrating for me when I know there's an answer to a question and I can't find it, knowing yeah. it's there. And it's I can't your product, find it right? <laughs> very, very frustrating. So we, we've been doing we've been doing some work there. Um, you know, that, that's that's one area that I've I've had a lot of interest in. We've, we've also got some other little little skunk works projects we've been playing with. So okay. I was uh, at the Orlando Code Camp uh, before Dev Connections, and I did the keynote, and I got up and I said, well, as some of you know, I'm uh, not writing code for a living anymore, and I got booed. <laughs> I got booed. And somebody actually came up to me, and they didn't hear the for a living thing, you know? <laughs> uh, yes, I'm still writing code. I just don't write code for other people. 
Yeah. I read it for myself. So I see that, you know, you're sort of in the same situation. I'm, I'm kind of in the same situation. I'll, I'll write it's Ghost a nice still, place to be. But uh, the real developer, the real developers then kind of come in behind the scenes and <laughs> fix all the code that yeah. Rob wrote. So if you have, every so often you pop out from a weekend and go, this is what we should be doing. Take this, go forth and be productive. I've tried. It never works the way I intended to, though. <laughs> yeah, I can see their first step is. Uh, Rob's been writing code again. Let's <laughs> let's spend a week or so and take this apart, figure out what he meant, and then code it correctly. Well, Scott Watermazic, this is this is actually a pretty funny story. Scott Watermazic had a had a little wiki, or not a wiki, but a Ajax chat application he wrote last summer that we were all kind of playing with and and partying on the code with for a while. And and I asked him, he kind of begged him. I said, "Can I get can I get access to the repository? Because I want to do some check ins." Like, sure, sure, sure. So he he sets me up, and um, you know, a week later, I'm kind of tinkering around with the code some more, and I, I had this tinkering habit where I'll tinker with stuff and forget about it and come back a week later and it's broken. And he had, uh, apparently he had decided to work on it and had had some problems. So he checked out our error message and checked it back in and said, if you're seeing this error message, it means Rob, you know, Rob missed a check-in. So, and sure enough, I got, I'm working on the project. I'm trying to compile something and I get that error message. And uh, it was uh, it was pretty funny. <laughs> I didn't tell you he'd done that. He waited till you popped the yeah. error message to find. Oh, I knew who had done it. Oh yeah, yeah, I knew who had done it. Rob error. Yeah. <laughs> Sad but true. All right, well, uh, Rob, we're near the end of the show. We got a few minutes. Tell us a story about something weird or something funny that happened uh, during the course of your career. So probably the, one funny story that happened during the course of my career was I I, I don't know if it's funny or a huge faux pas. <laughs> but I had a, uh, both, yeah. I had a, I had a, a review scheduled with Bill Gates to, to ah. review the Microsoft SQL Server database cache and validation strategy, and I, I was nervous as hell, of course. Uh, one of those things where you, you get up at you know seven thirty in the morning, you drive there, you get to the meeting an hour ahead of time, kind of scope out where everything's at, and only to find that you know the doors are locked and security no, they won't let you in because it's Microsoft, it's Bill's uh, private meeting room. Yeah. Um, finally, get in there. And it was really cool because I was in a meeting with it was um, it was Jim Alchin was in there, Bill Gates was in there, um, about three or four other execs, and the whole premise was we were going to present on on the database cache and validation stuff we've been doing. Mike, Mike, awesome. Pease and myself, and I've I wrote some that. blog posts about it, and it was it was amazing, amazing experience. Um, you know, Bill was asking questions about you know how how caching would, was working and what we were doing and. Um, at one point, like it was, it was interesting to be in the inside of this discussion because at one point, um, Jim and Bill got into a discussion about the 640k memory limit in, um, you know, in a previous version of Windows or something, or, or some discussion around that. But it was just watching them go back and forth, wow. and yeah, it was. Yeah, it was we ran into this when moving to Windows 95. Yeah, yeah. but uh, the faux pas came. I wrote a blog post. This is right when I started blogging. I mean, this was this was early in my blogging days. And I wrote a blog post about my experience of that meeting. And it was a hugely successful blog post. But I talked about how Bill Gates was taking notes during the meeting. So I thought that was just fascinating because he sat down. And I was like, I was watching him like a hawk. Like, how's this guy going to take notes? And he took a, a yellow pad of paper out and put, put it into four quadrants and started writing in different quadrants. And so I was just fascinated wow. by this. And I blogged about it. And I thought, wow, it's a great blog post. People really enjoy that. No uh -huh. less than about three or four days later, all these news outlets start picking up the blog post and talking about how it's an example of how Bill Gates is not using a tablet PC. Oh man, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Jeez. So, <laughs> it was, it was a little nerve wracking for a little while, but uh, nothing ever became of it. Never got, never got any emails from the office of Bill Gates saying, right, of course, as soon as you start seeing that stuff post, you think I'm going to get a phone call. Yeah, I was like, I'm screwed now. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to have asked him, you know, what are you doing? Oh, what, what's that all about? Yeah, I, I it's pretty nerve wracking. I didn't want to ask any questions. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, okay. We'll just uh, wrap it up early. You got any other things you want to mention or plug or any cool things you downloaded recently that, that you've been playing with? Any games or toys or? Oh, you know, any toys? Let's see. No, not really. I've, I've been playing a lot of uh, Xbox 360 lately. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hooked on that thing. What's your favorite game? Favorite game right now is, is Tiger Woods Golf. I, I'm avoiding Crackdown because all my friends at work say that's amazing and they can't stop playing with it. And that's exactly why that's you're exactly avoiding it. That's exactly why I'm avoiding yeah. it. Yeah. I did just get the new BlackBerry, though, the new BlackBerry 8800. 
Yeah, what's so special about it? Uh, I don't know. It, it it seems to be the finally the the culmination of the perfect device for me. I, I for a long time carried around a BlackBerry as well as a phone because I wasn't happy with the BlackBerry phone, and and I picked this device up about two or three weeks ago and just been phenomenally happy with it. So the phone works. The phone web works, works awesome. Um, email. email works awesome as as kind of expected. I've always been an email first kind of guy, uh, but it's also got some just crazy features like. Uh, built-in GPS, um, great support for Google Maps. Wow! Uh, and of course, it's got, uh, um, of course, it's got Texas Hold'em built in there too. Oh, no, no, yeah, I know. I knew this because we've been talking about it over the course of the past few days. You got a little poker fixation going. There. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I went to Vegas like two weeks ago, and I didn't play any Hold'em in Vegas. But I've come back like this whole this total total craze to play Hold'em. So I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I'm. I still play like old poker. I think I told you yeah. a couple nights ago. Yeah. I've, I play like, you know, five card draw, you know, uh, chase the ladies, uh, you know, high low, that kind of stuff. So I haven't gotten into hold them yet. All right, Rob. Well, it's been great catching up with you and yeah, you too. Keep in touch with us and let us know what you're doing. We'll do. And my email address as always is rhowardintelligent.com. If anyone has any, any email you want to shoot me and say hi or whatever. Excellent. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. And we'll see you next time on Dotnet Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com Got a